All right, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. We're talking this morning about being gifted by the Spirit. We've been in a series on the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, we talk about giftedness. We talk, we think about, many times we think about talents. We think about natural abilities. Uh, the last few months, uh, we've seen, or maybe in the last month or two, I didn't really look and see when it all happened, but we've seen three, uh, very world-renowned musicians, uh, and singer-songwriters, um, who have died. Uh, David Bowie, Merle Haggard, uh, Prince, just in this last week. And, uh, all were huge contributors to their various, uh, music tribes, if you will, and very different styles of music there. Um, but all contributors there and considered very talented, gifted, People, right? I saw a video clip on social media uh, this week after Prince had passed away of him doing guitar solo uh, with Tom Petty and some folks on a Beatles song. And I mean, just, I mean, there's just gifted, right? Talented. Uh, whether you were a fan of his music or not, we can say, okay, that's an extraordinary, uh, unusual gifting and talent that this person had. And so many times, so we're used to the term gifted or talented to explain these sorts of things. But in Christian life and in the church, uh, we're talking about something a little bit different when we talk about being gifted. We're not really necessarily talking about natural abilities. We're talking about supernatural ability. Uh, it doesn't mean, and we'll mention this again here a little bit later, but it doesn't mean that God never works through natural abilities. But the, the point is that for every believer, for every Christian, if you've had a time in your life where you've crossed the threshold of faith, right, and you've repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have at least one, maybe more, but you have at least one spirit spiritual gift, a gift given to you by the Holy Spirit uh, to enable you to serve the church and to glorify God. God has given His children gifts. And the spiritual gifts are how the Spirit of God um, gifts God's children to advance God's mission. So, the Spirit of God is enabling you and me in different ways. We've all got different ways we contribute to be able as one body to advance the mission of God in our community and in and through our church and the building up and the edifying of believers. And the way He does that is by giving out these spiritual gifts. Because God wants the church to be built up. He wants people to come to know Christ and to grow in Christ and to remain steadfast and to endure in Christ. And He's gifted every believer in this room with a, at least one way for you to help contribute in that. And so the big idea this morning is that every believer has been equipped with a way to help contribute to God's church and God's mission. You are gifted, and so you need to use it this morning if you're a believer. And so look with me at Romans chapter 12, verses 3-8. through 8, One of about four texts we have in the New Testament on spiritual gifts. Um, look with me starting in verse 3 of Romans chapter 12. If you don't have the Bible, it should be for you on the screen right here. For by the grace given to me, the Apostle Paul writes... I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 
Alright, so let's grasp the context. We just kind of picked up uh, in the back third of Romans here and in the, the middle of chapter 12. Paul has, in, in the book of Romans, this great book, Paul has now in chapter 12, he is transitioning from a heavy doctrinal emphasis in the first 11 chapters. Romans 1-11, through 11, those chapters are just heavy, rich, theological doctrine. And then charting, starting in chapter 12, verse 1, it begins, okay, now what does this look like lived out in my life? How am I supposed to live in light of all that is true. And he starts there, if you look back up at Romans 12 verse 1, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. So he starts with worship and he says, the way you're going to worship is you're going to present your body, you're going to present, he means your whole life, all of you, but that your body counts, okay? What you do with your body counts in worship, but it's all of you to God in worship. That's what he's calling us to. And the point here is this, that in the Christian life, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. In the Christian life, we're no longer killing animals, sacrificing lambs and things of that nature in order to worship God. Because the final lamb has been slain, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus. And so, ever since Jesus came, lived a sinless life, took on our sin, bore our sin on the cross, took the wrath of God, three days later, rose from the dead, offered His life up as a sacrifice. Ever since then, now we offer living sacrifices. We don't go and offer and kill things on an altar. We spiritually die to self and offer ourself up to God and we live in a response of the sacrifice that's already been given. So to live your life as a living sacrifice is to live in response to the Gospel, in response to what Christ has done. Because Christ has already made a way for me to be right with God, now I live in response to that. Not so I can earn favor with God, because I have favor with God in Christ. And so, all right? and, so, and he says the way you do that, the way you begin this, is you first you have to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What you do in your body starts with your mind. Okay, So he says you need to renew your mind. And the Bible teaches us in other places that renewal takes place. It's a work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, right? He does that. He uses the Word of God and things like that to renew our minds and our hearts to make us more like Jesus so that we'll offer our bodies and our lives up to God as living sacrifices. And so every day, every day, Sunday through Saturday, we are to put ourselves on the offer altar. Not to pay for our sins, but because our sins are paid for. We live as living sacrifices, not to make things right with God, but because in Christ things are right with God. And we can't do this, though, if we don't have these renewed minds. Now, after that, those first two verses, those very famous verses there in Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Starting in verse 3, he kind of is showing us what it looks like to live this out. What is the renewed mind living as a living sacrifice? And he begins in verse 3, he talks about how we offer ourselves up to others through using our spiritual gifts. We're serving others. And then he goes on and he starts, he gives a list. It's kind of a laundry list of, of do's and don'ts, right? Starting in verse 9, it's kind of showing what Christian behavior is supposed to look like. But before that, in verses 3 through 8, he's showing us, okay, here's how we serve one another with our spiritual gifts. Because part of you offering yourself up to God is allowing Him to use the gifts He's given you to advance His kingdom and His purposes. Now, there are about four times in the New Testament 
where it addresses spiritual gifts. Three times by Paul, here in Romans 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which is kind of the biggest passage uh, that deals with it for chapter after chapter, three chapters. And once by Peter in 1 Peter. And so, when we talk about spiritual gifts, the first question we kind of we have to kind of answer, and we kind of start here, we'll build off that this morning, is well, where do they come from, right? Because I said they're not natural abilities, they're supernatural abilities. So the first thing I want you to see this morning is the source of spiritual gifts. Because gifts, they have to come from somewhere because gifts are given, right? That's in the very nature of the Word. He says in verse 6 there of chapter 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So grace has been given to us and gifts have been given to us and they differ, he says. The word gift in the Greek is uh, the word charisma. The word grace in the Greek is the word charis. C-H-A-R-I-S. And you put an M-A on the end of it and you have charisma. Okay? And so the word for gift and the word for grace are connected in the Greek. So when we say you have a spiritual gift, it's a grace gift, literally. It's a gracious gift from God. It's a gift of God's grace. It's a gift you receive by grace. gift that is freely given to you. Okay? Not something we worked for, not something we earned, not something we deserve, but something that as believers in Christ, God has given to us and given to the church. Would it be a gift if on your kid's birthday you pointed out in the room all the stuff they already had and said, Happy Birthday, right? <laughs> Wouldn't go very well, would it? Right? That's not really... And you're like, well, I bought that for you last month and you got clothes to wear and I bought that. No, that's not what we do, no. We, we give them something, we, we offer them, we give them a gift. Happy birthday. Gifts are given. And God has given every believer. He doesn't look at you and simply say, look what you've already got. No, He gives you a gift. He doesn't just give you, look at what I've already given you at, at, at birth. No, no, no. He might have given you all kinds of talents, but He offers you a gift, something freely given to you at conversion, the moment you become a believer. Now, Gifts, these gifts are given by the Spirit of God. That's why they're in our Holy Spirit series. They're given by the Spirit of God according to God's grace. Look with me, it should be on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. Paul wrote this book as well, and he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Spiritual gifts are the manifestation of the Holy Spirit working in and through your life. He is the one who gives these gifts. These are the primary way the Holy Spirit uses you in the lives of other people. It's for the common good of others. It's for the good of the, of the church at large. It's for the greater purpose of God, not for the purpose of building our own egos. So if you want to see the Holy Spirit at work in your life, I just want to, I just want to see God do something in my life. I just want to see God work through my life. Use your spiritual gift. That is the manifestation of the Spirit of God working in and through your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. That should be on the screen as well. It says, All these, all these spiritual gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. The Holy Spirit, as we learned a few weeks ago, has His own will, right? It's in sync with the Father and the Son's will because the Trinity is in union, in perfect union and community. And He has His, his will, and by according to His will, He apportions the gifts. He gives the gifts. You don't get to pick which spiritual gift you have. He gives it. You say, I want their gift. Too bad. 
We need you to have your gift because God knows better than we do. Hebrews 2.4 While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed, distributed according to His will. They're gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So He is the source of these gifts. It is the Holy Spirit who apportions, who gives out gifts, and He does it as He wills. In other words, He's working to bring about the will and purposes of God to accomplish the mission of God And He knows what is needed for that to happen. And only God knows, ultimately, how that needs to work. And the Holy Spirit is God. Now, the gifts are from God. The gifts are by God. And they are to accomplish what God desires. They are not given to simply make us feel important, to make you feel better about yourself. They are given to make much of Jesus. And that's what they're to be used for. To build up others. Your gift wasn't given to you for you. Just wasn't. It's not just a gift to you, it's a gift to the church. It's a gift to the church. That's why when he talks about offices, which are similar, but there's spiritual gifts or spiritual offices in Ephesians 4, and he talks about the offices of things like pastor, for instance, or evangelist. He talks about the apostles. He's listing these offices and talking about they are a gift to the church, not of and to themselves. And here's the thing we have to understand. Because they're gifts and because they're given and because they're given by the Holy Spirit, for every real and authentic thing, there is usually a counterfeit. God gives spiritual gifts, but people many times try to counterfeit them. Satan will even try to counterfeit them. Spiritual gifts get counterfeited every day because anything valuable gets counterfeited. That's why they have to guard against counterfeiting money. That's why you can go to New York City and you can buy a not really that brand purse on the side of the road, right? It's not, it's, it's not the, it's, that's not that brand that's selling that on the side of the road. It's somebody who's counterfeited that brand. The real thing always produces the real thing. And phony only produces phony, right? Jack in his um, garage can't produce Nike or whatever, right? Only Nike can produce Nike. And only the Holy Spirit can produce genuine and real spiritual gifts. But we can create fakes. And you can fake a gift of teaching, for instance, for selfish reasons, just as easy as you can fake a healing in a service. And people fake those as well. If you have a natural ability to teach, for instance, it can look like a spiritual gift. The spiritual gift is given to build up the body of Christ, not to harm it. Sometimes people use a natural ability to teach or to hold somebody's attention for other reasons other than to build up the body of Christ. We can fake concern for others and people think that we're merciful. We can fake discernment and people think we're so wise and discerning and we're just making it up as we go along. All these usually are motivated for very selfish reasons and to look good in the eyes of others. The good news about spiritual gifts is that God has chosen to use people to accomplish His purposes. And there is no believer that He does not desire to use in some way to advance His kingdom agenda. Now, the source is the Holy Spirit. Number two, the danger of spiritual gifts. Danger of spiritual gifts. Look at the beginning of our passage in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The danger is spiritual pride. It's a real temptation for every believer. The one thing we should not have pride in is a gift that was given to us by someone else, but that's just how deceptive sin is. 
We will poke our chest out and we'll feel really good by the way we serve somebody or help somebody and, and how, how we, how valuable we are in this way or that way. And really at the end of the day, it's a gift that was given to us by God's Spirit, not something we worked up on our own. He says, do not think more highly of yourself than you should as he goes into this talk on spiritual gifts because that is the temptation. Go to 1 Corinthians. And man, it's, it's, pride has run rampant. The, the biggest section on the spiritual gifts that we have in the entire Bible is given largely as a rebuke to the abuse of them. Because we are prone, if we're not careful, to abuse spiritual gifts. Pride prevents us from living with renewed minds and transformed lives and hinders the use of our spiritual gifts. Pride never builds up. It only puffs up. And then it destroys. In Corinth, the major problem there I mentioned, right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12-14 through where he's dealing with the problem there, and you have 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? Did you know the... Did you ever think about this? Because a lot of times we see that. If you've never read it, if you've never read 1 Corinthians cover to cover, we just kind of see that ripped out and put in a marriage thing. Some you're at a wedding and you see it or somebody reads it and you've never really heard it in context. And we just think, oh, it's a great chapter on love. The context is spiritual gifts. The point is, these people are so proud. Because when you're proud, you become selfish. And when you're selfish, you can't be loving. And his point is, if you use your spiritual gift in a way that is not loving, you don't do good, you do harm. He says, actually, you're just a clanging cymbal. You're just a big, loud noise. You're not a blessing to anybody if you don't do it in love. Right? So the preacher, he would say, you can preach the paint off the walls, but if you don't love people, your gift is pointless and worthless. And he'd say the same thing to the mercy shower, and he would say the same thing to the one who contributes, and the same thing to the one who leads, and all the different ways of service, right? He would say, listen, we can do that till the cows come home, but if we don't love people, we might as well be standing outside in Baldwin Park with a big old bell just ringing it as loud as we can, get them on everybody's nerves. Now, and if you don't think people can get on people's nerves by serving and using their gifts, you just haven't been in church long enough yet. It can happen. It can happen. Pride is real. It's real. And, and, and he tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that it needs to be done in love because that guards against. You can't be just selfish and loving. Because love requires us to give of ourselves. For God so loved the world that He gave. It's in the very nature of love to give and to give of self. And Jesus tells us we've got to love like He loved and we've got to give of ourselves. If we walk in selfishness which comes from pride, we can't do that. Paul is about to explain to us how all the members here in Romans need one another. And pride says, I don't need anyone. I'm always right. That's why he's saying guard against thinking more highly of yourself than you should. God says, I'm never wrong. I'm always no best. I always know right. I'm always, I mean, it doesn't see the need for others to speak into our life. Have you ever met someone very talented who was also arrogant? Met people like that? Right? They could hit a baseball a mile, but they couldn't sit and be, they weren't coachable. Right? They could run a 4-4, but they weren't coachable. They were smart, could make great grades, but they weren't teachable. Very talented, but arrogant and proud. And you always think, man, they're going to wreck their life. They're smart. They sure are gifted. But if they don't get some humility, they're going to wreck their life. Spiritually gifted yet proud people can also cause damage. 
Examples of pride and how it will cause you to abuse your spiritual gifts. Let me give you a couple of those. Take the gift of wisdom. That's a gift that the Bible mentions. You may actually have a gift of wisdom, but you're not perfectly wise. Did you know that, even if that's your gift? Maybe God has given you the ability to assess situations and to speak wisdom into those situations that are in line with His Word, but you're not perfect. You're fallible. No matter how gifted you are in that area, you're not the most, only God is all wise. And if you think you're always right, and you can't stand being wrong, even when you disagree, with someone, everyone's in sin but you, right? If that's kind of your attitude towards it. You may be wise, but you're also proud. And if I read Proverbs correctly, if I walk in pride, I can't be wise. And you end up forfeiting your gift because of your pride. Teaching. That's another one, right? I'll pick on gifts that I'm supposed to have. Teaching. You may have a gift of teaching, but if you aren't teachable, that's pride. And there are a lot of people like that. They can open a Bible and can teach and can help, but they're not teachable. And that's pride that causes that. And preachers can be the worst about this. And in time, you stop growing. And you cause harm to your gift and to others. And you can do that. I can go through every spiritual gift and talk about a way pride can ruin it. Contributing. We're going to get to that one here in a little bit, but giving is a spiritual gift. Think of the ways pride can ruin that gift. Sure, pride can ruin our gifts. He says, rather than being proud, he says, think soberly about yourself. In other words, as one person said, not too little, not too much. Just think rightly. <laughs> think in line with God's Spirit and with God's Word in proportion to how God's gifted you according to your faith. See, some people in pride abuse their gifts and other people in pride neglect their gifts. See, pride, just like it can cause you to abuse your gift and be unteachable, it can also cause you to not be willing to teach, to not be willing to do some things because you're afraid of how you're going to look to others, your fear of man, a fear of failure, all these other things. And that stimulates from pride. Pride will cause you to abuse or neglect your gifts. But God's called us to engage others in humility with our gifts by faith. Now, we next we need to understand the design of spiritual gifts. The design of spiritual gifts. How, how are they designed to work? Look at verses 4 and 5. Gifts, we're going to learn, promote diversity and unity in the body. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do all, not all have the same function. Everybody has different roles. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. One of the ways the Bible speaks, and Paul especially speaks, about the church is to call it a body. He calls it other things, a flock. Right? There's, there's different ways that it refers to it. But Paul likes the term body. And a body is made up of many parts. And no part is a body unto itself. If you just had an arm here, you wouldn't say that's a body. You would say that's an arm. Right? If you had two arms, you'd have two arms. You still wouldn't have a body. A body makes up a lot of different parts, a whole. And the Christian church is a unified body in Christ, right? There's the global body of Christ and there's individual expressions of it all over the world like we have here at North Park. We are one body in Christ and it is in Christ that we are unified and brought together. He's what makes us one. He's what unifies us. He is the common thread that runs through every believer. And just as every body has many parts that have different functions, so it is in the body of Christ. Legs are used for walking and hands are used for picking things up and ears for hearing and all that sort of stuff. Nobody walks on their ears. Some people probably could, but just kidding. But you don't do that, right? You don't, you don't, your, the arm is used for things that arms are used for and the ears are, you don't see with your ears and you don't hear with your eyes. It has a particular 
function. And it sounds really simple, but Paul drives this home both to the Romans and to the Corinthians because we need to get it that everybody's got a distinct part and nobody is a body of and to themselves. In the body of Christ, everyone has a role and we do not all, do not all have the same role. Everyone has a gift that helps make the body work right. A healthy body is made up of more than hands or feet. It's made up of all sorts of parts. And the same is true for the church of the Lord Jesus. Now, because we have many parts but one body, we are in, we are, that means we're members one of another, he says. For instance, when's the last time you thought about your big toe? Just now you thought about it, right? You hadn't thought about it in weeks, months. Then you drop something on your big toe. Then you think about your big toe and every other fiber of your body is thinking about the big toe. Right? Your hands go to hold the big toe. Right? Your mouth might say some things about the big toe. Careful. Right? Everybody's aware that something's going wrong with the big toe because they're all members one of another. They're connected and interconnectedness in the same way in the body of Christ. While we're all different and we have different roles and different parts and do different things and God has wired us differently, we're connected. So if one member suffers, as Paul says, I'll suffer. If one member rejoices, I'll rejoice. There's a connectedness because we need one another because you need the other members of the body. Ultimately what we see is that the body of Christ should display both unity as one and diversity as many. God has designed spiritual gifts in such a way that they should display both the unity and diversity of the body of Christ. We are all different, but we are all interdependent on one another. It's like a football team, right? You can look out there at the football team and you've got the big uh, linemen, you know, Six foot six, three hundred and fifty pounds, and could just and can take and, and block another six foot six, three hundred and fifty pound man, or try to get around him, right? And then you've got guys on the edge who are fast, and if they're on offense, they can catch, and if they're on defense, they're mean, right? <laughs> and then you've got the quarterback, and he's got to be able to throw and read a defense, and if he can run, that's great too. And you know what you can't do? You will not see a Super Bowl champion team with twenty two quarterbacks, or twenty two wide receivers, or twenty two offensive linemen. But they better have a quarterback. And they better have the right amount of receivers, the right, you know, all, 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 the, all, the, all those other positions. And then there's the one position that nobody ever thinks about. Nobody ever thinks about the kicker. Right? Your team scores, you go get chips, right? Pour yourself something to drink, come sit back. You don't even pay attention until he misses the kick. Or until there's three seconds in the game and your team's down one and the ball's on the 20 and he's about to kick for the Super Bowl. And then he is the most important person on the team. He could have been dead 20 minutes ago and you wouldn't have known. But now, He's the most important person, right? You're rooting for Him. You're praying for Him. Everything's different. Because it's, that shows, that illustrates how there's many parts. One goal, one purpose, one body all brought together. Everybody has its own role. And in the same way in the church, God has gifted us to work in different ways, but we need one another. God has designed us this way. I need you, you need me, we need one another. Every member needs the body. You do not have every spiritual gift. I don't know what spiritual gift you have, but I can promise you this, you don't have them all. How do I know that? Because then you wouldn't need anybody. And you would be Jesus. Only He had them all. Only He has them all. Jesus has every spiritual gift. Read the New Testament. He's full of mercy. He's full of truth. He's teaching. He's healing. He's doing it all, man. He's leading. He's... He gave to the point that He gave His life. He has every spiritual gift. You don't have every spiritual gift. I don't have every spiritual gift because we're not Jesus. But together we are His body on earth and together we have these gifts that His gifts have been scattered abroad for each of us to share and to have. 
for the purpose of building up the kingdom and building up and advancing God's church. God has designed us to have unity and diversity. And what is the purpose of these diverse gifts that God gives us? What's the purpose of your spiritual gift, whatever it is? Well, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 tells us what it's designed to do other than unify us and display diversity. He says each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. Right? Serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You have two reasons right there. To serve others and glorify God. That is why you have, that is the design of your spiritual gift. In short, your gift is for the good of the body and for the glory of God. The Holy Spirit has gifted each of us, each believer, and He empowers us to use those gifts. But we've got to be careful to not become proud. Because they're gifts, they're given, not things we aren't. And these gifts display the unity and diversity of the body in a way to, to serve others and to glorify God. And that brings us to what we need to know next, and that is what are the function of these gifts? Number four, the function of spiritual gifts. Verses 6-8. through eight. Spiritual gifts need to be used. The way they function is you have to use them. Having gifts, he says, that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Paul says we have these different gifts according to God's grace and we need to use these gifts. Use, not abuse, our spiritual gifts. I'm convinced that a lot of Christians are missing out on the fullness of the Christian life because they're not engaged in using their spiritual gifts. First of all, I can promise you this. If you're not engaged in spiritual community, Christian community, you can't be using them. That's the purpose God gave it. He didn't give it to you just to like... I mean, it's great if you use it at work, but that's not the primary reason God gave it to you. It's great if you use it at home. That's not the primary reason God gave it to you. The primary reason He gave it to you, according to the New Testament, is the church. And all those other can be expressions and can be ways that we serve and we want to use it everywhere we can, right? Everywhere we meet a believer, we want to use it. But it needs to function in the body of Christ. You may be thinking, I will use my spiritual gift, but I don't know what it is. We went out in a room and we raised hands this morning. A lot of hands would probably go up and say, I'm not real sure what my spiritual gift even is. Did you know? There's not a verse in the entire Bible explaining how to know what your spiritual gift is. It's amazing what some people use to keep them on the sidelines. God never gave you a verse exactly to explain to you how to figure out what it is. Three chapters in 1 Corinthians and not a single verse on how to know what your spiritual gift is. Peter and Paul both address gifts. Neither address how exactly to know what your spiritual gift is. Let me explain something. At Christmas, when you go to open your Christmas gifts, the moment you open the gift, you know what the gift is. Unless you still don't know what it is, which means you probably got a bad gift. Right? And so... But think about it like this. As a general rule, you open the gift right and then you know what it is. You're not supposed to know about it before then. Think about it like this. The moment you open, so to speak, your spiritual gift, you know what it is, but not necessarily before. What do you mean? Listen, there's nothing wrong with taking a spiritual gift survey. You've started those. You can go online. You can do things church. I've done it. You do it in churches. You can do it in other ministries. You can do that. I'm not opposed to that. Not opposed to doing that around here. Can do that. Nothing wrong with that. All I'm saying is Paul, Peter, and the gang, they all got along without it. So I'm not saying, so I'm saying it's not necessary, but it can be helpful. And if you're not careful, it could probably be unhelpful. 
puts a lot of focus on us and not others. So how do you open the gift? If you don't know what it is to open, how do you open the gift? There's one thing that Paul and Peter both say every time when they're mentioning spiritual gifts, and Paul says it here. Use it. How do I know what my spiritual gift is? I use it. And that's how I know what my spiritual gift is. Well, what? But how, how in the world can I use it if I don't know what it is? You say just go start trying stuff? Well, I tried mercy out today, but then I called him a loser, so I guess that's not it, you know? I tried to teach, and then I spewed out some heresy. I guess I'm not a teacher. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is First Peter says that we're to use it to serve one another. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The purpose of these gifts is to serve one another for the good of others, to build up others, to build up their faith, to encourage them in the faith. So if you want to know your gift, find out how you best serve others. How has God used you to build up others? How has God used you to bring glory to Him? That's your gift. So what are you saying? I'm saying serve somebody. I love this quote from John Popper. He says, quote, We must not get hung up on naming our gifts. The thing to get hung up on is, quote, Are we doing what we can do to strengthen the faith of the people around us? I really believe that the problem of not knowing our spiritual gifts is not a basic problem. More basic is the problem of not desiring very much to strengthen other people's faith. And I concur. A lot of times, that's the problem. I say it every time. The Bible never seems to assume that the hard thing is knowing the gift. It doesn't. Hard thing is not being puffed up by the gift, not abusing the gift. It's not knowing the gift. It seems the Bible wants to make sure we use the gift and we don't lack for knowledge many times. We lack for effort. We, we fail to love others. We fail to serve others. And we like to claim just ignorance. As you grow in the Lord and serve the Lord and serve others, you will find specific ways God uses you particularly to bless others. Many times other people can better inform you of your spiritual gifts than you can. Some people are more used by God in some areas than others. You'll likely enjoy serving God and others in the way that God has gifted you to serve. Your gift's a gift, not a burden. Right? I mean, I just hate doing this, but God's gifted me to do it. Right? Open your Bibles. No! Right? I mean, that's not blessing anybody, right? If it's a burden and it's a drudge, it's not a blessing to somebody. So you're going to serve others and you're going to enjoy doing it. And that's the two best ways to understand and know what your spiritual gift is. Paul gives us a list of gifts in this passage. Let me explain some things about this list and other lists you see in the Bible. You'll find if you read all the passages on spiritual gifts that there is not a single matching list. Some of the gifts appear in multiple places. Some of the gifts are not here and not there. And there's about 15, 16, 17, I can't remember, gifts out there that are mentioned in the Bible. But none of them are... Paul doesn't give the same list. Peter doesn't give the same list. Paul gives lists a couple times and doesn't give the same list. What does that tell you? That there's no comprehensive list. In other words, what we have in the Bible, I do not believe, is every single gift God has given. It's examples. Kind of like the fruit of the Spirit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is that everything there is about the character of Christ? Because that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Well, no. But it's a good general idea to get you going, right? And in the same way, 
In the same way, our spiritual gifts, the spiritual gifts that are out there, the Bible gives us a list, a concise list, but it, I do not believe gives us a comprehensive list. Also, the Bible never says you only have one gift. But it does say that you have at least one gift. You may have more than one, but you do have at least one and you don't have them all. That's what I can tell you about that. Some believe that some gifts are for a season. In other words, God may empower you in a particular way at a particular time more than any other way at another time in this particular season of life according to needs that arise in the body of Christ around you. I don't know. doesn't say you can't do that. doesn't say he does do that. So it's possible. It could be some gifts are lifelong after your conversion. Some gifts may be seasonal. Bible doesn't spell that out. Some gifts may be in sync with natural abilities. For instance, you may be a really good communicator and then God may save you and He may give you the gift of teaching the Bible. He may not. But He may. He may sanctify that gift. Some gifts have nothing to do with natural abilities. You might have been mean as a snake before you knew Jesus and then you're a mercy shower. And you're compassionate. You might have been stingy and grumpy and now you're generous and joyful. They have nothing to do with your natural ability. Now, let's look at the list real quickly and learn some things about these particular ones. Prophecy. The word could mean inspired utterance in the Greek. Not simply, it's not we think of it as predicting the future. It was a lot more than that. It was the thus saith the Lord sort of thing when you go back to the Old Testament. Two major views on this gift. This is kind of a divisive one in, in churches. Uh, no reason for it to be. If you hold either of these views... Okay, good godly people hold both views. Let me give you two major views of this gift. It could be interpreted in the New Testament to be the gift whereby God will bring things to mind spontaneously to speak to others. Always in accordance with Scripture, never going to violate Scripture, but it's not Scripture. And because we're fallible, it can be fallible, not because God's shared something with us that's fallible, because we mess it up in our interpretation and what we say to others. It's got to be weighed out with Scripture and wisdom. Some people view this gift that way. Right? Kind of like, you know, I sense that the Holy Spirit wants us to pray for such and such about such and such. And then you find out like two weeks later, like, I'm glad we prayed for that. Right? Those sort of things. Some people believe that's what it is. Some people don't believe that's what it is at all. All right? Uh, Another view is that this was the speaking the very words from God. And you do see that in the Old and New Testament of, hey, this is, thus saith the Lord, and you write it down because this is God's Word. It's the infallible, inerrant Word of God. And that because we have the New Testament and the Old Testament and the Bible completed now, we don't need this gift anymore. And some would say now it's transformed and it's primarily the preaching gift. It's a little more than teaching. It's the idea of proclaiming God's truth in a way that really impacts people's lives. All right, Two different views that godly people um, and godly Baptists and godly all sorts of denominations have both of those views. It's, the big point is this. This gift of, is a gift of communication and helping direct God's people. And it may be a rebuke, it may be an encouragement, it may be a warning. That's what, what I know for sure. And here's what I can tell you about the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.3 On the other hand, Paul says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for the upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. If it doesn't build up, if it tears down, it's not from God. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters in, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Discloses the secrets of the heart, causes people to worship God. These are the types of things that Paul tells us about this gift. Paul says if you use this gift in Romans, he says, use it in proportion with your faith. 
He was saying the gift was only to be used when someone had faith that God wanted them to share this, to use this. He has revealed this truth. Even if you take the, 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 whichever view you take, that's the truth. And it should be used in a way that builds up and shares truth in love. Right, gift of prophecy. Like I said, of all the ones on the list, that's the one that's the most divisive and confusing for people. Service. This is from Diakonos, where we get our English word for deacon. This is a gift to serve in various ways. It may very well point to aiding people in need, but it's broad and, and, and a critical gift in the church. You hear people say things like this, boy, he is just a servant. That's somebody with this gift. We don't really have to explain this one a lot. We kind of understand it. We see it. It's somebody that rises up and they meet needs. And Paul says this, if you gift is your service is your gift, he says, use it in your serving. What's Paul saying? He's saying, get busy serving somebody. Get busy serving if service is your gift. Use it in serving. You can't use it on the sidelines. Teaching. This is a gift to be able to help people understand and apply the Bible. You can explain it and help people apply it to their lives in a unique way. Now, every pastor or elder is required to have that gift. Have to have it. Or you're not called. He says, use this gift in your teaching. In other words, get busy, right? Now, they're not the only ones with that gift, right? He commands, for, for instance, the older women to teach the younger women. Hard to do without a teaching gift. Teaching gift. Critical in the church. Exhortation. This is a gift to encourage others along in the Word. Encourage them to obey the Word. Encourage them to apply the Word. Encourage them in their next spiritual step in their journey. Remember, that time someone came alongside you. It helped you get unstuck spiritually. Maybe they had the gift of exhortation. Say, so how do I use it? He says, and you're exhorting. Get busy encouraging and exhorting people. Then contributing is a gift. Some people are prone to go above and beyond in their giving. They may even have greater means at times to give. The Bible doesn't necessarily say that, but it would make sense. But they have a knack for meeting financial needs in the church or in the lives of others when they arise. If that's your gift, he says you'll need generosity. Why do I need generosity? Because you won't use it if you're not generous. He says, so you need to have generosity. You need more than money because if you have money and not generosity, you won't contribute. So you need the means and you need the generosity to contribute. It's a spiritual gift. Leadership. While there are official leadership positions, for instance, like pastors in the church, the leadership gift is needed in other ways beyond the church offices. If you're going to lead, he says, lead with zeal. That means eagerness and diligence. One resource said it is excited fervor to do something or accomplish some end. Leaders have to get out front and lead in a clear direction fervently, not sluggishly or lazily, but clearly charging ahead, pointing in the direction. He says, lead with zeal. Lead with zeal. Mercy. I believe mercy showers attract hurting people. You know what it is to show mercy. It's to show compassion. And I believe many times people with this gift attract hurting people because these people crave mercy. And if you're thirsty, you'll find something to drink. And you'll find someone that will show you mercy. It's a compassion to minister to people in need. If you have this gift, he says, use it with cheerfulness. Why? Because if you don't, you're probably going to wear out if you don't have some joy in your life. And at the same time, people that need mercy could use a good dose of joy most of the time. Two. See, people have a tendency, though, to see a list like this in the New Testament and rule out what they don't have and assume what they do have. And then we're tempted to avoid situations that, quote, don't fit our gift. But did you notice a lot of the gifts I read are commanded of all Christians? 
Mercy, for instance. Giving. Serving. All Christians are commanded to do these. However, the point is, some people are especially gifted to bless people in unusual ways through these means beyond what the rest of us could even do. In other words, never use not having the gift of mercy for an excuse to be unmerciful. I don't have the gift of mercy. Well, you don't get to be a jerk. You're still called to be merciful. That's not my gift. I don't care. Jesus tells you to be merciful. God tells us to be merciful. And it's to the merciful that God will show Himself mercy. And you don't want to deal, you don't want to be the one those that God deals with that's not merciful. So show mercy. It's just that some people are unusually gifted in mercy. He says, I don't have the gift of giving. I guess I don't give. You better. He says, when you're supposed to give and to give generously and to give joyously and to give sacrificially. But some people have an unusual gift in giving. And man, they just have a way of seeking and serving. Same thing. God has given His Holy Spirit to every believer and the Holy Spirit has given every believer at least one gift to be used to serve others and to glorify God. And the question is, how is God using you to build up others? How is God using you to bring glory to Himself in the church and in the world? I believe if we focus on investing in God's church and serving others for God's glory and not ours, that the Holy Spirit can be trusted to make clear where He wants to use us the most at. And to give us opportunities to use those gifts. But don't use I'm not gifted as an excuse to not be willing to serve. Sometimes you won't even know you're gifted in that area until you what? Till you open it. till you use it. And then you find out, oh, this blesses others. It blesses others.